You're listening to On the Road, Our Way, the archive of the podcast formerly known as Women on the Road from 2017 to 2020, hosted and produced by Laura Borshevsky and a production of Rabble Media. This episode of Women on the Road is brought to you by Merrill. Merrill exists to give you all you need to discover the simple yet profound power of the trail. They believe the trail is for everybody and everybody. Merrill's goal is to provide thoughtfully designed, rigorously tested products that overdeliver on performance, versatility, and durability, so you'll be prepared for whatever trail the road takes you to. Stay tuned for later in this episode. We'll hear from Gail Straub, founder and podcast creator behind She Explores, about her experiences hiking near her home in the northeastern corner of the U.S. and what makes it special in her eyes. Learn more at Merrill.com. I don't create these super hard expectations on myself where it's like I have to go to these places by my, you know, whatever birthday. Um, I'm just kind of like open to what's out there and just stay open to what pops up. I'm Laura Hughes, and you're listening to Women on the Road, a podcast to bring you closer to some of the honest experiences that life on the road has to offer from the perspective of women who've lived it firsthand. This episode is truly the first of its kind for the show, because until now, we've been fairly exclusively focused on camper travel and everything that happens when the rubber meets the road in the most literal sense. But here's the thing. We know this community's love of travel doesn't stop when you get out of a vehicle. In fact, a lot of you have your sights set on international travel to discover new roads in places far from home, but international travel on its own is a completely different animal when it comes to making it accessible. Which is why we are so excited to have the experience and insight from Rachel Miller in this episode, who goes by Rachel Travels Online and has been building a business around her adventures. Rachel's personal brand isn't just for show. She travels the world like it's her job. Because it is. Wondering what I'm talking about? Here's Rachel putting her on-the-move lifestyle into her own words. The type of travel that I do is solo travel. And because it's international, obviously, it's a lot of flying. And the way that I pick my destinations is really that the destinations kind of pick me. So I'm really big on cheap flights and flight hacking and, you know, glitch fares. So if I see something that's super inexpensive, I'm like, I'm going there. So right now I'm in in Florida and I found a flight to Panama City, Panama for like $112. So I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm going to Panama. (laughs) That's amazing. I'm pretty floored right now. I've started doing a little bit more international travel since I got off the road and I was living in a camper van full time. And now I'm I do part time road travel and have a home base in Utah. But it's opened up the doors to doing a lot more international travel. And one thing I want to learn a lot more about is flight hacking. And I'm wondering if you can explain a little bit as to different methods that you use or what flight hacking is for people who don't know about it and how you've used that to be able to expand your travels. Absolutely. So my made up version of the definition is essentially using different tools and your knowledge and your current habits to generate points and leverage those points to do travel. So I'll give you a quick example. And I am by no way a guru in flight hacking. There's people who are like, 
flight hacking, not ninjas or something. But for me, the thing that allowed me to travel initially was after I left my job in corporate America, I started researching some basic flight hacking and the easiest method was to open a travel credit card, right? So at the time it was a chase card and you just had to spend, I think it was $3,000 within three months and you got I think like 80,000 points, right? And so what I did was for three months, I would pay all of the bills that I would have paid in cash, you know, through direct deposit. I paid it on this particular credit card. I just paid it off as I normally would. And in three months, I had 80,000 points, which you can use towards any flight, right? So then I took those 80,000 points and I applied it to a flight to Bangkok. And so I flew to Bangkok for $15.30. That was all I had to pay in taxes after using those points. So that's essentially one of the methods of flight hacking. It's super easy. I think as long as you are pretty disciplined and pay your bills on time and make sure to pay it off, then you can reap those benefits and those rewards. That is so cool. I love that you got a trip to Bangkok for just the cost of tax, essentially. I mean, people talk about, you know, how international travel isn't accessible to everybody. And those with active credit card debt should definitely be wary of getting another credit card to start doing something like this. I know neither you or I are financial advisors, but I've also heard of this method working. I actually have a friend who just bought a ticket to Bali this January for $7 after tax. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. What happens with Glitch Fair? You mentioned that you found a really cheap ticket to Panama and that kind of informed your travels. What do you do to find really cheap or abnormally cheap tickets like that? So because I'm deep in the travel industry from the sense of being an quote influencer, I'm in all these, you know, travel forums and travel groups, but there's also these like great websites online called, I want to say like the flight deal and secret flying. And, you know, there are certain sites where if you stay on top of them and one thing I like to do is like first thing in the morning jump on there and see what's available but you'll see you know they'll post really inexpensive or glitch fares really all day every day and then of course you can sign up for their newsletters but I just hop on there kind of like as a morning ritual and see what's available so you know they'll have flights from mostly major cities or hub cities so a lot in the New York or northeast area Miami Orlando Houston Dallas Chicago but you'll have really inexpensive flights, like $178 to Curacao, which is something that I've done. Or I even paid, you know, less than 200 bucks to go to Abu Dhabi and Dubai, right? So those are some of the places that you can start to find some of those glitch fares and just kind of get obsessed and like look at it in the morning and see what's available and be very diligent about booking when you see it because they are glitch fares. You know, there's different theories, right? Like somebody, you know, may have made a mistake and put in the wrong price or it's just quick sale that the airline is having. Either way, you just need to hurry up and book it when you see it. You get 24 hours to cancel. So if you have buyer's remorse, you have some time to, you know, get your money back. That's so clever. And something that I especially appreciate about that whole philosophy of purchasing tickets when they're a really affordable rate is that you probably have gone to places that you never thought you would go to or maybe weren't planning on going to for quite a while because 
a really good opportunity opened up. And so that got you somewhere where you never thought you'd be seeing and experiencing something you never thought you might see or experience. A hundred percent. Like I would probably say a lot of the places that I have traveled is purely because I happen to come across a glitch fair. For example, I went to Columbia also for like, I think 150 bucks or something like that. And not saying that I never wanted to go to Columbia, but it definitely wasn't on my top 10, right? And so because I found this really inexpensive round trip flight, I was like, hey, I'm going to Columbia. And it was an amazing experience. And so I guess the way it kind of guides my journey through travel is that I don't create these super hard expectations on myself where it's like, have to go to these places by my you know whatever birthday Um, I'm just kind of like open to what's out there and just lessen the expectations on where I should go and what I should do and kind of stay open to what pops up that's really amazing and I think a really good philosophy of travel as a whole like if you take that philosophy and that mindset and take it with you on the plane to your next destination you're going to have a much different experience than if you said, okay, I want to go to this place by this time and see and do these specific things. And then I'm good. And I can check that off and move on. Right. Yeah. Because I have so many friends that are like, I want to go to Paris, but I only want to go to Paris when I'm married or, you know, when I'm with someone. And I'm like, you know, girl, you're single now. So why would you waste time or miss out on such an amazing opportunity to go to a great place because you're waiting on someone to come in your life that's not even there yet, right? And who knows, you may have meet him when you go to Paris. So just try to stay open to that. Absolutely. So this kind of brings me to the question of like, how did all this start for you? So you're traveling solo right now, going, you know, wherever Glitch Fair takes you or, you know, wherever things line up best and whatever kind of draws your eye and your passion at the time. So how did all this get started? Yeah, so my story started probably like most of our story, right? You go to college, you do really well, and then after college, you have to find this great job, and then you work your good job for, you know, the next 30 years or so, and you retire, and then that's just kind of the end of your story. And I was on the path. I I had the trajectory. I graduated. I moved to the New York area. I worked for a Fortune Top 25 corporation. And I was doing well and I was completely depressed, right? I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder and depression. And for a year of while I was working in corporate America, I was actually, you know, seeing a therapist and none of my family and my friends knew about it. And so it was kind of like a secretive thing, like I'm going to get help for my disorder, but I'm not telling people that I'm seeing a therapist, right? And then I just decided, you know, who wants to live this way? Secretly getting help, being in an environment where I felt overworked and unappreciated. And then on top of that, just kind of having these anxiety attacks and different things. So I was 27 at the time. I was making six figures and I decided I was going to retire from corporate America. I was over it. And I left corporate and I went backpacking through Southeast Asia for three months by myself And from there, I just kind of created my travel blog, Rachel Travels, from the perspective of being a woman of color who was traveling through Asia by herself, which at the time wasn't really heard of in that sense. Someone who, you know, kind of had it all, at least in in my community, you know, like 
kind of checked all the boxes and shouldn't really be complaining, probably shouldn't be depressed, right? That's the perception. And then you leave it all behind just to travel the world and find yourself. And so that's kind of how my story started. And a lot of different opportunities opened up from there to working with brands, to being able to do consulting, educating people, so on and so forth. So that's really where my story started. And this year will actually be five years that I've been doing this. That's incredible. I'm actually so glad that you mentioned that you've been doing this for five years because what I see with a lot of women especially who have been traveling and as Instagram and social media and just blog traffic in general has continued to go up because more and more people are seeing, oh, travel is accessible. I want to travel. I want to see resources and find other people who are inspiring, going to do great things. I think the perception and this is the same with like just straight up road travel and like the van life culture as well. So I see a lot of overlap there is that it's easy. And I think while obviously you've done a really great job of creating a successful brand where you're able to travel, you've found some really great methods for traveling affordably, and you seem to see the world with a very open perspective. So you're open to going to a bunch of different places, which just facilitates more travel. It's also not been an easy path because you've been doing this for five years now. And I think a lot of folks do start getting out there and then they're like, oh, this is hard, or there's some realities of traveling that are hard for me. And especially especially as someone traveling solo. And I imagine a woman of color traveling solo, you also have your own unique challenges there too. Yeah, what kind of challenges and realities have you encountered during these past five years of traveling as a profession? Yeah, so I would say one of the ones just from, you know, a personal perspective, especially being a woman of color and a black American woman at that, is I've traveled to many places where, you know, people just haven't, seen black Americans specifically. They may have met African people from the continent, but they may not have met black Americans. And so that's always like a really interesting conversation. And, you know, some people may say like, oh, this was overwhelming or this was too much or, you know, there was biasness. But I always look at it as a learning opportunity. You know, in my community, we just haven't been traveling nearly as much as our other brothers and sisters. And so now we are starting to travel a lot more to these, you know, unique destinations and spaces, but there's still a lot of curiosity there. So I think in the beginning, I wasn't quite clear about what that meant. And it was, you know, it was a little daunting, but now I'm super open to, you know, having these conversations and answering questions about my culture because the perception of my culture is only portrayed through media, which is very limiting. Some of the other challenges I would say is, you know, it gets lonely. And I'm sure, you know, you can understand this and attest to this is like, you know, as much as you are traveling and you see these beautiful places and you are meeting these amazing people. I remember one of my first blog posts was about how travel is beautiful, but sometimes it feels like a one night stand, right? Like you go somewhere, you meet an amazing person and you decide to travel or backpack with them for the next couple of days or week or two. And you like, you know, go hiking and biking and, you know, have these great experiences together. Right. And then they're like, OK, well, I'm actually going home to Germany. So if you're ever in Germany, call me up and, you know, we can hang out or I'm going to meet a friend in this country. And so it's great. But then it starts to feel kind of like these one night stands that are like amazing. But then it's like a high and then it comes back down. So I think that those are probably like the two biggest challenges when it comes to traveling solo. 
We'll hear more from Rachel after this. Meryl believes there isn't just one way to get where we're going. And as travelers who are drawn to new destinations by the outdoor journeys that await, that's something we can completely relate to, especially when it comes to seeking out new trails. Founder and podcast creator of She Explores, Gail Straub, shares some of her favorite reasons the northeastern corner of the U.S. is worth traveling to and what trails she loves most. The trails in the Northeast, particularly in New Hampshire, are very special to me, both because I grew up in New Hampshire, so there's that home element, but also because of the unique terrain that New Hampshire has to offer. It's called the Granite State, which means when you're hiking, you're often hiking up and around, scrambling around boulders, and it's really challenging, and I love a good hiking challenge. I recently tested out the Ontario Mid Waterproof Boot, and I immediately loved how comfortable they are and how they have this like sneaker-like quality which I actually felt like I could start running in them, which is surprising for a mid-boot. But it can come in handy. Maybe I'm not running up mountains in New Hampshire, but sometimes when I'm on my way down, I just want to get to the car so I can go to a restaurant or eat that burger or (laughs) have that end-of-hike reward. Stay tuned for more stories with Meryl this summer. And to learn more in the meantime, visit Meryl.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-L-L dot com. So, you know, I had been traveling since high school. I was in an international studies magnet program. So when I was 17, I had the opportunity to go to China for a month and it completely changed my life. And I officially had the travel bug. And so when I got to corporate America, I'm like, okay, great. I have this amazing job making a lot more money, which is going to allow me to travel more. We're back with Rachel. And one of the things that spurred her ongoing travels in the first place was her introduction to it at a young age. So when she secured a stable career later on, it initially felt like an indicator that she'd be able to support her desire to travel the world more regularly. But Rachel soon discovered some flaws in that story. But, you know, when you work in corporate, you are working, right? Like you're working 15, 60 hour weeks. And then you're also, at least for me, I was limited to what? two or three weeks of vacation per year. And I'm like, well, how is this going to work, right? And so that part was kind of like, you know, I want to travel, definitely want to do more of that, but I don't know if I want to be limited just to less than a month every year, right? So that was one thing. And then the turning point for me where I just decided leaving my job was going to help just shift my life was I actually went to a presentation And, you know, I was going to present to our VP and all his directors and it was like this big deal. Right. And, you know, I went to present. I did my part and it worked out really well. And then I just remember feeling so overwhelmed and going to the bathroom and I went into the handicap stall. Right. Because it's the bigger one. And I just remember placing my back against the wall and sliding down and just like crying and wanting to scream. And I just didn't understand why I had this overwhelm of intense emotions that just didn't feel right. And I think it was just a combination of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do this for 30 years and be, you know, overwhelmed and bullied and, you know, feeling unappreciated and having no mentors and no support here. And I feel stifled. I don't think this is my purpose. You know, all of those things that kind of came up to the surface at once and you know I was like I'm young I'm not married I don't have children I'm doing pretty well for myself at least let me try let me just travel for a little bit get it out of my system and my whole philosophy was I can always get another job you know whatever I can always come back right 
And so that's what it was. I just decided, am I going to have to run the risk of having an anxiety attack and an emotional breakdown once a month, if not more, for the next 30 years? Or will I just try to recreate the story in the way that I want to recreate it and not based off of the story that I was told or based off of the path that I was told was the best path for success for my life? What kind of responses did you get from friends, family, coworkers when you said, I'm taking some time off, I'm going to go travel and who knows what will happen next? (laughs) So, you know, I come from a black Southern family. And so, you know, black Southern people are super religious, right? And so my mom was like, did you pray about it? You know, like you said, you're depressed. You know, at this point I told them I had anxiety and depression. You know, did you pray? Did you do this? Like, why are you leaving your job? And then also, you know, my parents are like, but you have this good job. You have these benefits. You have all of these things. Why are you depressed? Like, why are you sad when, you know, back in my day, you know, that whole thing, right? I think it was more so my mom was like, really think about this. Like you have this great setup, right? And so they were obviously trying to convince me without trying to force me to stay. My father, on the other hand, he actually quite surprised me because he was like, you know, you've done everything that we've asked you to do up until this point. You did well in school. You know, you did this, you did that. I mean, whatever you want to do with your life after this is up to you, right? Like you're old enough to do that. My friends were supportive. They've always been quite supportive of my antics, but they also were like, but you know, like you have this great job, you know, are you sure this is what you want to do? What are you going to do? Like, what about dating? What about this? You know, so people were a little apprehensive at first, supportive, but also kind of like, are you sure this is like a, a great decision? But now it's interesting because all of my family and friends are like, when are we going to take our family trip together? When are we going to take our girlfriend's trip? And so they have really started, well, at least in the last few years, got in alignment with what I'm doing and they're super supportive and they want to travel with me now. And I've gone to places with them that they would have never gone if it wasn't because I was going and I convinced them, you know, Iceland's going to be cool. Let's go. And they're like, Iceland was one of the best trips ever, right? And I would have never picked Iceland. So that makes me feel really good that at one point people were kind of questioning my decision. And now they're like super excited to have these very different and unique experiences with me. I completely agree with that. It made me think as you were telling that story about getting your family to Iceland is that, you know, I spent a year after college teaching English in South Korea, and it was an experience that was beautiful and also very isolating. But one of the major highlights for me was that my parents took their first ever trip abroad to come see me and spend my birthday with me. And they were there for two weeks. Yeah. And they loved it so much. And, you know, South Korea was a very safe place to have them be traveling around by themselves while I was working. So they would go wander around. And it was just a good experience overall. But it was also super foreign to them. And so I think they felt more comfortable to do more traveling abroad after going to South Korea because they were like, well, if we did this, we can go do other things. Yeah. And so when I hear of people like I just had one of my best friends move to Australia and she was a little bit conflicted about it because she didn't want to leave her community. And I said, honestly, you're giving people a gift if they decide that they want to come visit you because maybe they never would have traveled to Australia, but now they have a good reason to. And so I I hear that in your stories, too, of like you're giving people this gift to say, hey, come with me or I'm going to help instill this confidence in you so that you can go travel on your own terms, too. And that's a really beautiful thing. Absolutely. 
I guess I'm curious to hear a little bit about if you have any tips for those out there who are maybe thinking about going and doing some travel or have dreams of travel like what you're doing and are maybe in a corporate situation or in a nine to five and are wanting to break out. Do you have any advice that you might offer those folks? From the perspective of if you are working in corporate and you decide or desire to take some time off, I obviously am an advocate for it. But one thing I wish I would have done, I definitely saved up a lot of money before going. Like I did really well with that. And I'm not going to say I wish I would have saved more. But if you know that this is something that you want to do, then definitely save up for it and decide what type of experience do you want to have. And that can kind of dictate maybe not how much you save, but how you go about the way that you prioritize your spending, right? So when I did backpacking through Southeast Asia, I was backpacking. I was staying in hostels and all of that kind of stuff. So rooms were anywhere between $6 a night to $12 a night versus now that I'm a little bit older and I, you know, have a profitable business, I, you know, decide to stay in nicer Airbnbs or stay in hotels and resorts and I'm able to have different types of experiences. So depending on what you desire to get from it is how I will look at it. And also, let me just say from the backpacking perspective, it puts you in a position to meet a ton of people, right? Because you are in these high traffic areas like hostels and people coming in and going and they're traveling here for the day or two. And so it's easy to meet other, especially solo traveling women or just solo travelers or people traveling in groups that you can kind of link up with. And that helps, you know, with not being so lonely and it helps with making friends and helps with splitting costs and all that good stuff. Now, I will say that once I have more discretionary income to spend on different types of experiences, it's a little bit more isolating because, you know, when you're on a resort or on a beach, you're not necessarily having access to a lot of different people. And especially the type of people who understand where you are because they likely have left a good situation as well and decided to travel for, you know, however long. So I would say definitely just prepare financially and prepare with what type of experience you want to have and create a plan based off of that. Definitely. And you know, there are a lot of benefits to having a corporate job for a time if you know that travel is in your future. So planning for that is always really great. You know, if if you're in a job that's corporate and you don't want to be there, maybe look at it as a temporary thing or, you know, put an expiration date on it, knowing that I'm saving up this money because I won't have it later. And that's a really beautiful thing, too. It's a resource and a privilege that not a lot of us realize until we're out of the corporate world. (laughs) Yes, 100%. You know, one of the things one of my girlfriends says is like, and I love it because it helps me retell the story about working in corporate, but she calls her job her angel investor. So instead of saying, you know, oh, I'm going to work today, she's like, you know, I'm going to my angel investor today. And that kind of shifts her mood a little bit in saying her job is helping her fund the things that she wants to do, whether that is travel more, invest in entrepreneurial things, whatever that looks like, you know, just kind of changing the way you talk about it also helps as well. That is a great paradigm shift. I'm definitely going to keep that in my back pocket as well. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. When it comes to building up your own business, this is something that, I mean, from the outside, and I know that freelance and self-employed life is 
an emotional and financial roller coaster, but I will say from the outside, it looks like you've, (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) You've built up a really solid brand for yourself. And while I'm sure you still are on that same emotional financial roller coaster that all of us are on, I'm really impressed with what it is that you've been able to create for yourself. And it seems like something that's relatively sustainable. So I'm curious to know if you have any learnings that you've gathered up over the past five years or just what your experience has brought forth to you as you've been building this business. I would say some of the learnings is definitely to continue to invest in yourself. So if that looks like, you know, purchasing books and to master or to understand um, parts of your business that you may not have an interest in, but you need to learn it. So for me, I have degrees in marketing. I love all the marketing stuff. That's like my thing. That's my jam. But I really don't really want to get into like the financial stuff with the taxes and the structures and all of that right like it's not fun but it's something that you just need to know about so you can protect yourself and protect your brands and then also when you aren't working in a corporate environment you don't necessarily have access to the type of resources right and so you always have to be a continual learner and that's something that you're just going to have to prioritize as an investment for yourself and for your business and so in the very beginning before I really considered my brand as a business I was just kind of like out here traveling doing whatever but once I started to take my brand seriously as a business I had to you know invest in going into conferences and courses and coaches and different things like that so I would definitely say a learning is to really invest in yourself and keep investing in yourself and if you can't afford an expensive coach then you can get a $12 book on Amazon right another thing is And I'd probably say the most important thing I've learned is to extend grace to yourself when you feel like you have failed. I try not to use the word failed, but, you know, it's a lesson learned. Or when you go through, like you said, the these emotional roller coasters with being an entrepreneur, just to give yourself a little bit of grace and and space to forgive yourself and to just take a step back and learn the lesson I found that being an entrepreneur is more of an emotional and a spiritual journey than it is anything else. And so it's just really finding that space. So I do a lot more yoga and meditation now, (laughs) being an entrepreneur way more than I did, you know, working in corporate America. Right. So I would say those are probably like the two big learnings to invest in yourself and to continue to do so and then just give yourself some grace. Yeah. And what I hear in both of those that seems to be an overlapping theme in my mind is just that overall belief in yourself. You know, believing that you can do it means investing and and putting back in more resources and more opportunities to learn and grow. And then also just forgiving yourself when maybe you don't meet the mark that you wish you had met because you know that you're going to hit it eventually. Absolutely. And to keep trying, you know, sometimes it's so easy to give up when you've put a lot of work into something and you don't hit your goal. But it's like, okay, it's cool. Like, what can I learn from this? What can I do better? What didn't work so well? And let's try it again. Let's optimize it, right? So just trying to, again, change the way that you tell the story in your head has really worked for me. Thanks so much to Rachel Miller for taking the time to share your insights and knowledge with us, especially when it comes to traveling abroad and making it a profitable business. If you want to follow along and see where Rachel goes to next, I think she's in Japan right now. You can find her online at Rachel Travels. 
We'll be posting links in our show notes with the resources she discussed in this episode as well, including a book she recently published meant for those who want to become a travel influencer. We'll see you next week. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Women on the Road and on Facebook, including our Facebook group for community questions, stories, and support, which you can find by searching for Women on the Road podcast. Also, if you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You could even share this with a friend you think might like it. You know, someone who likes to travel a lot? Might be good. Thanks again to our sponsor, Merrill. Music is by Jim Perkins, Jason Shaw, and Dr. Turtle. This episode was edited by me with support from Gail Straub. Women on the Road is a production of Ravel Creative. Until next time, we'll see you out there.